Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olabest. Today's text is Title IX, which is the most well-known portion of the United States Education Amendments passed in 1972. This is an incredibly important piece of legislation, and we're going to get into its history, the way it impacts people's lives, and the way it is or isn't enforced effectively. All of this based on just one sentence. Um, And just so listeners are aware, we are going to be talking about sexual assault later in the episode. Not a graphic description, but a true story on a sensitive and difficult topic. So please be advised of that. But before we begin our discussion, I want to introduce my reading partner for today, Whitney McPhee Griffith. Hi, Whitney. Hi, Amy. So, Whit, could you start us off by explaining a little bit about Title IX? Sure. So the official website, the U.S. Department of Education, says, and and quote, this is all that it says, uh, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance, end quote. Then it goes on to talk about the scope of Title IX. So Title IX applies to institutions that receive federal financial assistance from the Department of Education, including state and local educational agencies. Educational programs and activities that receive Department of Education funds must operate in a non-discriminatory manner. Some key issue areas in which recipients have Title IX obligations are recruitment, admissions, and counseling, financial assistance, athletics, sex-based harassment, treatment of pregnant and parenting students, discipline, single-sex education, and employment. Thanks, Whit. So there it was. There was the sentence um, that we talked about um, that protects people from discrimination in education, right? Any institution that receives federal funds. So any listeners who heard the episode on the book, Keep the Damned Women Out, about United States universities excluding women from educational opportunities will know why this legislation was so needed. And you also might remember many of our episodes um, from earlier that talked about women like Sarah Grimke, who watched from home while her brothers were sent to Yale, or the genius civil rights activist Polly Murray, who was rejected from Harvard solely because she was a woman. So yes, women have always been kept from educational opportunities that were available to men. And that's why this legislation, one of the reasons why this legislation was needed. Um, and so now because we we always talk about the authors of these essential texts, let's also highlight one of the primary architects of this statute, Patsy T. Mink. So Patsy Matsu Takemoto Mink was born on December 6th, 1927 on the island of Maui when Hawaii was still a U.S. territory. She was a third generation Japanese American. After graduating as valedictorian of the Maui High School class in 1944, she attended the University of Hawaii at Manoa for two years and then subsequently enrolled at the University of Nebraska. And as I got to that part in her bio, I thought, "Uh oh, this is not going to be good for her because it's 1944 and she's Japanese American and going on to the mainland U.S. at that time. Um, that cannot be good. And sure enough, um, her bio continues that she ha- experienced terrible racism in Nebraska. And she worked to have segregation policies eliminated um, as a college student. 
but after illness forced her to return to Hawaii to complete her studies there, she applied to 12 medical schools to continue her education, but was rejected by all of them. Following a suggestion by her employer, she opted to study law instead, and she was accepted at the University of Chicago Law School in 1948. While at the university, she met and married a graduate student, John, graduate student John Francis Mink. When they graduated in 1951, Patsy Mink was unable to find employment as a married Asian woman, and after the birth of their daughter in 1952, the couple moved to Hawaii. She was, she was refused the right to take the bar examination due to the loss of her Hawaiian territorial residency upon marriage. That would never have happened to a man, by the way. A man would never have lost his residency because of his marriage. So Mink knew that, and she challenged that rule. And she won the right to take the test, and she passed the bar. But because she was married and had a child, she couldn't find public or private employment. Um, so her father helped her o- open her own practice in 1953, and she worked as an attorney for the Hawaiian Territorial Legislature in 1955. She hoped to change discriminatory practices through law, and the following year, she ran for a seat in the Territorial House of Representatives. She won that race and became the first Japanese-American woman to serve in the Territorial House and two years later, the first woman to serve in the Territorial Senate. In 1964, Mink ran for federal office and won a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. She was the first woman of color and the first Asian-American woman elected to Congress, and also the first woman elected to Congress from the state of Hawaii. She championed the causes of education and childcare, and in 1970, she became the first person to oppose a Supreme Court nominee on the basis of discrimination against women. In 1972, she co-authored the Title IX Amendment of the Higher Education Act, and it was later renamed the Patsy T. Mink Equal Opportunity in Education Act in 2002. So let's talk about Title IX's impacts now, and we're just going to cover two of them. First, we're going to talk about sports, and then we'll cover sexual harassment and assault. So Whitney, can you tell us a little bit about Title IX and how it affected women's sports? Yes. So prior to Title IX, uh, women were not only discriminated against in classes, they were also not given opportunities to participate in sports. Uh, In 1972, only 15% of college athletes were women, and in high school, only 7% of athletes were girls. And the girls' sports teams that did exist had to provide their own uniforms and equipment while boys' teams were paid for. By the way, this data comes from a TED Talk called Equality, Sports, and Title IX, and it's a really short, really effective little educational video. Uh, Anyway, after Title IX was passed, it became the law that a school that received federal funding had to provide equitable funding for girls' sports. And of course, when schools offered better sports programs, a lot more girls started playing sports. If you think back to some of the earlier books you talked about on the podcast, a lot of women in the 18th and 19th centuries argued that girls wanted to be active and play outside too, and they were so frustrated when they weren't allowed to. And men just argued by saying, girls don't like to do that stuff. And these women activists kept saying, yes, we would if we had the chance. So this was really the case right up through the 1960s and 70s and Title IX. 
So to all you listeners, if you're a woman who played sports as a kid or you're a parent who has daughters who play sports and those girls have uniforms and funding and a robust group of girls to play with and compete against, then you have Title IX to thank for that. It's just amazing, right, to think of all the girls and women who would have been interested in doing that, right? In 1972, only 7% of high school athletes were girls. High school level has grown by 1,057% of girls participating in sports. It's just so awesome and so important. Okay, so now let's shift gears, and we're going to talk about another aspect of discrimination that Title IX covers, as we've um, alluded to, which is sexual harassment and assault. Um, The Title IX website says, quote, advocates such as the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, maintain that when students suffer sexual assault and harassment, they are deprived of equal and free access to an education. Further, according to an April 2011 letter issued by the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, quote, the sexual harassment of students, including sexual violence, interferes with students' rights to receive an education free from discrimination, and in the case of sexual violence, is a crime, end quote. So Whitney, I know you've had personal experience with this. Um, Could you tell us about that? Yes. Yes. Uh, I think the easiest place to start uh, is a couple years ago when I shared a very personal story publicly on Facebook uh, about an experience I had when I was in college. So I'm going to start by reading that post. It's time for me to share my story about one of the darkest chapters of my life. I've been trying to decide how I'd go about this and have been thinking very seriously about it over the past year, knowing I'd never feel like I'd be able to write it perfectly or feel ready to put myself out there like this but the time is now. While I was at Utah State University in 2009, I was raped by an instructor in the piano department. I didn't tell anyone for a while until I sunk into a deep depression and everything in my life seemed to be completely falling apart. I called my dad one day about four months later in hysterics and told him what had happened. After discussing discussing the issue with my dad, the Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office, and my therapist, I decided to report the incident to Title IX. It was one of the scariest things I'd ever done at that point, but I mustered all the courage I possibly could and read my handwritten statement and details of the events out loud. Their solution was to talk with this individual. They set up a meeting with him and the head of the department, and he was told to knock it off, essentially given a slap on the wrist. He said that he was sorry and that he was now on the straight and narrow and was turning things around, and that was the end of that. After hearing that this instructor, rapist, had also been assaulting other students in the piano program during the same period, my anxiety became so debilitating that I withdrew from USU altogether the following year. Then, about a year and a half ago, I learned that even more students in the piano department had been sexually discriminated against, harassed, and assaulted, not only while I was there, but long before that and continuing after I left. Anyone who tried to bring up any mistreatment or other concerns, the head of the department would only punish the students more. In the past nine years, I've spoken with the Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office, Title IX, Law Enforcement, three attorneys, and the U.S. Department of Justice. I've grown and healed and become so strong, and I'm so grateful for my supportive family, friends, and therapist, and for my own strength in getting to where I am today. But I'm not done fighting. 
The fact that I've ch- I have worked so hard to try to prevent this from happening to other students and nothing has changed only adds fuel to the flame. No one can change the past, but this problem within the USU m- music program needs to and can be fixed so that at the very least, parents can send their kids to this school knowing that they are going to get their education at the very least and hopefully know that they are safe amongst faculty members. The least I can do is try to encourage others to tell their stories. We've been silenced for too long. Thanks for reading that, Winnie. I think you're so brave. And I'm really, really grateful that you were willing to read that and to talk about it today. Um, I so admire your courage. It's crazy. Yes. Wow. And so many people, I think, I, I remember you telling me multiple women when you would talk to them and say, would you be willing to come forward? Um, and they would say like, no, I need my degree and I don't want my degree to be in jeopardy. I need to just, is, am I remembering that right? What? Yes. Many people had very similar experiences and a lot of the same fears about reporting and retaliation. There were, there were plenty of instances where people would speak up about their concerns or they would file a report and even ones who didn't really, I mean, there was, it was just this unsaid kind of keep quiet if you want to, if you want to survive in this program. Wow. It's awful. So what happened going back to your, your, when you posted your story on Facebook, what happened after you posted your story? Like how did the university respond, I guess? (laughs) Um, after I shared my story, I heard from someone at the university once, um, and it was a day or two later, and I got an email from the Title IX coordinator that was basically like, you know, if you would like to come back and finish your education, um, I'd love to talk about it, uh, and (laughs) I kind of laughed, you know, I, no thanks, not, not really interested in going back. I responded to her and said that if she had any more information for me, I'd be happy to hear it. Uh, but I didn't didn't hear back from her, and that was the only communication I ever had with the university after my post. Uh, it's the only time I ever heard from them. Um, so wow. my post uh, initiated a third party investigation. So they uh, the university hired some attorneys, um, outside attorneys, and the investigation lasted about two months. Um, so this group of attorneys investigated whether USU and Title IX handled the situation appropriately, um, or whether, uh, Title IX was in violation. So the lawyers reached out to me to see if they could ask me some questions. And I asked if they could send me the questions ahead of time so I could think it through. So they sent the questions to my new email address and I took several hours to write out my answers thoughtfully. Um, It was very thorough. I sent it to them in the time that they requested. And then a few days after that, they emailed me my portion of this report that they had compiled um, for me to just look over and to confirm um, or not, you know, whether I was okay to waive my right to privacy um, for when they released the report. Um, And when I got that, I saw that the information they had written about me was wrong. Uh, They had mixed details up with someone else's, maybe. Um, They said that I was in a romantic relationship with this instructor and said it lasted for months. (laughs) 
Um, I called them immediately and said, that's not true. Please take it out. Uh, And she would say, well, what if I word it like this instead? And I'd say, no, because that simply isn't true. Um, There was some more back and forth. um, But uh, they originally uh, fixed my story well enough um, in the report. But then when the report was released uh, a couple of days later, I saw that they had included the original false version of my story, as well as in the report saying that I was unwilling to be interviewed for the investigation. So that was the biggest slap in the face to me. Uh, I was furious. I had posted my story on Facebook because things needed to change. And I worked really hard to help that happen for me and for dozens and dozens of current and former students. So to claim that I was unwilling to participate in that was such a slap in the face. Uh, So the report concluded that the university did not handle the situation appropriately, um, and they recommended that the university make some changes. So it was a funny moment. Everyone was kind of like, oh, yay, finally, they listened and they, you know, we did it. And I was like, did what? You know, nothing has changed. The Title IX coordinator was laid off with a hefty severance package um, about six months later, but that was really the only personnel change that they made. Um, The instructor who raped me was never fired. He actually had just left um, the previous school year, uh, so in 2017. Um, And the head of the music department resigned a day before the press conference. So, you know, he was not fired. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I remember how absolutely infuriating and frustrating that was. Um, But remind me if anything good actually did happen. I don't remember ever hearing about like, did the university, I know the president of the university said they were going to make a lot of changes, but like you said, the Title IX coordinator was laid off, but did anything good come of it at the university? Well, I think so. Um, I know that there were a lot of conversations on campus about what consent is. Um, And that actually started before uh, I shared anything about the music program. Um, But it was kind of, it was the timing. I think, you know, the spotlight was on them already, but they, they continued to have these conversations. Um, They started a campaign called Start by Believing to help survivors feel like they had been heard. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they have a couple of victim advocates um, there to provide support for survivors through the process. Um, And I've heard uh, from people that the environment in the program is a lot better now uh, because of the head of the department. Uh, He's gone now. Um, And there's a new head of the program who's wonderful. Um, So I'm happy to hear that at least um, some of the students and faculty feel like it's a better place to work and to Mm -hmm. learn. Um, and they generally feel safer. So that's, you know, that's really positive. Yeah, it's wonderful. And all because of you and your classmates and other brave people coming forward. So you're a hero and I'm so proud of you. So I have a couple other questions like specifically regarding Title IX. And one of them is like, how did you know what Title IX was? Did you know what Title IX was? What happened like in the Title IX office? Well, I went to the Title IX office. Um, really, I just wanted to know m- what my options were. So I hoped that someone would intervene in some way instead of me dropping out of school. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't 
I, I just, I knew in that state I couldn't continue in school. So what did they ask you to do? So they had me write down my, you know, fill out, fill out a form with my report of what happened. And I read my meeting and read my report in a meeting with the coordinator and another staff member. They took, they took notes during that meeting and their response to my story was that um, they said I could report it to the police if I really wanted to, uh, but that it would be really hard to do anything without more proof. So they said they could investigate it, but I would have to come forward and share my identity. But at that point, I felt so stupid. Like my face was burning with shame. I thought, if this isn't going anywhere, there's no point in drawing attention to it and outing myself, potentially risking retaliation that may have been worse than the incident itself, which is actually what ended up happening. Uh, the process of reporting it to Title IX having them dismiss me. And then the years that led up to 2018, where I shared my story on Facebook, those years were more traumatizing than the initial incident. And that's a common problem uh, with victims of assault. For a while, I gave it a break because I thought this is, you know, that nothing is going to happen. And so I, I took a break from school. I initially was just like, okay, I, I tried, you know, um, But they said they would talk to him. So they met with the dean and the head of the piano program and with him. And they basically told him to knock it off. And he said that he wasn't going to sleep with students anymore and that he was on the straight and narrow. Perfect. So everything was better. Great. So glad. (laughs) Yep. Gosh. Okay. Problem solved. Right. So then what happened after that? So they said they were going to have some sexual harassment training, but they would, you know, keep, keep me posted on that. Um, in the meantime, I was just so full of anxiety and so depressed. And uh, I, the, the next semester that fall, I just could not go back. So I dropped out. Um And I went to Virginia uh, for a few months to live by our sister, Courtney. Um, But I was so devastated having left my piano studies out of fear. uh, And I got really mad. I thought it was so unfair that I didn't get to finish my degree because of what happened to me. So I decided to go back and finish. (laughs) So I moved back to Utah, re-enrolled, started again as a music performance major, Uh, The first time I saw this instructor on campus, I had a panic attack, had to run to the bathroom and throw up. Um, I had to take a class from him, though. Uh, It was required for my degree, and he was the only one who taught it. So I just tried to push through, you know, put my head down and and go through the program, even though I was having a really, really hard time. Uh, But I got to class one day, and we had been assigned to groups. Um, We had to check this bulletin board to see which group we were in. And I noticed that I wasn't on any of the group's lists. So after a big run around, I finally talked to the department head and he told me that they didn't want there to be any drama. So he had taken me out of that class. Um, And it turned out that it was him and the instructor and the dean who had made that decision to pull me out. So I went straight to the dean's office sobbing. I was so angry. Uh, My confidentiality had been violated. Uh, He said there was nothing he could do for me. 
Um, it was a really horrible semester. And when classes resumed after winter break for a new semester, I tried to continue with my classes, but I just couldn't do it. So after a month or two, I dropped out again. Yeah, it's so, so horrible. And this, okay, so this is why, like, this story exactly speaks to what Title IX is supposed to protect people from, right? This whole experience now, in retrospect, looking back at it, knowing, understanding a little bit more about what Title IX is, this helps me understand why sexual assault is under the Title IX umbrella, because at this point, you were being discriminated against because of something that had happened to you at the school. Your education was being compromised. And it was interfering with your education, not only because of the emotional distress and the terrible, terrible burden that you had because of this crime that was committed, but also they were taking classes away from you. It's so frustrating. Okay, so then, so what do you wish had happened instead? Like that day that you walked into the Title IX office, what do you wish would have happened? I wish there had been a victim advocate or someone who could just sit with me or, you know, help explain the process a little bit um, just to help me feel less alone and uh, scared. Um, And I kind of wish that there had been someone else there to witness that meeting, the meeting where I um, read my report, my story out uh, out loud to Title IX. You know, I wish someone had been there. most importantly, I wish that they wouldn't have dismissed my story. And I wish they'd investigated the case uh, or any of the, the reports made to Title IX, not just mine. You know, I, they should look into these cases. They sat there and did nothing. Um, I wish they'd have taken it seriously. People should feel safe and able to learn in school. That's what Title IX is for. And I really can't tell you how many students over the years left school without graduating. Um, And one thing that came up a lot in the comments on Facebook was, why didn't you go to the police and frustration with Title IX for not arresting someone? Why would any of us go to the police when we risked retaliation and shame turning to our own school's Title IX office for help, uh, only to be dismissed and retaliated against? And regarding the legal actions of Title IX, what people don't realize is that Title IX can't prosecute. Title IX is there to make sure their students can get their education and to make sure the university is not a hostile environment for students. This is a matter of civil law, not criminal. You volunteered with the organization Know Your Nine, right? Yes. Um, Can you tell us about that? Yeah. um, Know Your Nine is a survivor and student-led organization uh, dedicated to educating students and survivors on their rights. Um, I wish I'd known about Title IX before all of this happened in 2009. I didn't understand what their role was really until many years later. Um, Know Your Nine lays out everything you need to know. Um, They provide resources uh, for victims and survivors and for students and really anyone else who wants to make change at campuses. and, uh, you know, there are resources for taking legal action if necessary. And it's a really wonderful organization um, that educates people. Um, I really wish it had been around in 2009. Yeah, I do too. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for sharing all of this today. Like I said, you're incredibly brave and I admire you and I love you. So thank you. 
Um, as we wrap up, is there anything that you want to share in conclusion, like any takeaways? Yeah. Um, I really, you know, it's not fair that students who have been through this, uh, who have who have been assaulted or harassed, discriminated against, that they have to take matters into their own hands. Um, and people would ask me, you know, why now? Like, why, why are you coming forward now? It's kind of funny because, you know, it isn't just this out of the blue uh, decision I made. Um, it's been ongoing hell for me. Uh, I went down many different avenues for years, um, hitting dead ends, you know, it, it led to me eventually sharing my story publicly. Um, and I didn't do that until I felt I was in a good enough place emotionally to do that. Um, mm -hmm. That's definitely not for everyone. <laughs> um, and it's important for me to speak about this so that people are aware. Um, and so students and survivors know their experiences are valid. So there are people and laws dedicated to this and organizations like Know Your Nine and there are so many ways we can help improve the system and make sure survivors are heard and believed. Um, and Know Your Nine has a great list of options for this. It really took a toll on me to take to social media. I don't regret it, but I'm grateful to know that there are several options for people to take to to make change. So it's been a it's been a wild <laughs> few years, but I feel optimistic about it and really hope that I can help educate other people on this important topic. Again, just Whitney, thank you for being here today and thank you for telling your story and for offering such a beautiful example of strength. Thanks, Amy, and thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.